year of our Lord, the 7th of April, 2023, Good Friday, good evening. This is a day set aside in the Christian year for the church around the world to mourn the brutal rejection and crucifixion of Jesus Christ. God came to us in Christ, his one and only Son, but we did not recognize or want him. Certainly this day can be called good only because of the third day that follows it, making Friday not only a day of despair at the depths of our depravity, but also a day of hope at the bottomless depths of the love of God. As we stand before the cross tonight, we gain a clear view both of who we are, God's deeply loved, and who God is. This is a service of liturgy, scripture, song, and story, and it's purposed for us to encounter the heart of God. Throughout the evening, we will be prompted towards participation, yet our encouragement for you is to sense the freedom to connect and dwell with Jesus Christ with any posture or presence that you would like to give him. And we want to remind our online audience that we will be partaking of the Lord's table in the, the middle of the service, so we would encourage you now to prepare those elements. The Christ candle represents the presence of Jesus, the light of the world. At the end of the service, we will snuff its flames to symbolize his death that we are remembering this evening. And the darkness left in its wake reminds us of the great sacrifice that was made in our behalf and the hopelessness that the disciples felt after the crucifixion. So in the presence of God and his son Jesus, would you please stand and join me in our call to worship. Together, the underlined portion aloud, God so loved the world that he gave his own dearly beloved son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. On this day of remembrance and hope, we declare with joy, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. Let us worship God. The Terrible Lie from the Jesus Storybook Bible. You may be seated. You see, sin had come into God's perfect world and it would never leave. God's children would always be running away from him and hiding in the dark. Their hearts would break now and never work properly again. God couldn't let his children live forever, not in such pain without him. There was only one way to protect them. You will have to leave the garden now, God told his children, his eyes filling with tears. This is no longer your true home. It's not the place for you anymore. 
But before they left the garden, God made clothes for his children to cover them. He gently clothed them, and then he sent them away on a long, long journey out of the garden, out of their home. Well, in another story, it would be all over, and that would have been the end. But not in this story. God loved his children too much to let the story end there. Even though he knew he would suffer, God had a plan, a magnificent dream. One day, he would get his children back. One day, he would make the world their perfect home again. And one day, he would wipe every tear from their eyes. You see, no matter what, in spite of everything, God would love his children with a never-stopping, a never-giving-up, an unbreaking, always and forever love. And though they would forget him and run from him, deep in their hearts, God's children would miss him always and long for him, lost children yearning for their home. Before they left the garden, God whispered a promise to Adam and Eve. It will not always be so. I will come to rescue you. And when I do, I'm going to do battle against the snake. I'll get rid of sin and the dark and the sadness that you let in here. I am coming back for you. And he would. One day, God himself would come. As we look to the cross on this Good Friday, we are reminded of the reality to which these words from the Gospel of John point us. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. John 1, 9 through 11. We are reminded that the man, Jesus, humbly revealed himself to us as the light of the world. And like so many who have come before us, we did not recognize him. We are reminded of the words from the old hymn, How Deep the Father's Love. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. And as we gaze upon the cross, we find them to be just as true of us as they were of the crowd that chose to free the criminal Barabbas instead of Jesus. We too have denied him, just as his disciple Peter did on the night he was betrayed. We have not received him of our own volition, and so to atone for our sin and make a way for us to be with him in eternity, Jesus took up the cross and died a death that he did not deserve. The depth of grace and sacrificial love revealed to us by Jesus' death upon the cross compels us, just as it compelled Peter, to grieve bitterly over our sin, admitting both to ourselves and to our Savior that we have fallen short, rejected him, and are unable to will ourselves to live as he lived. We are compelled to confess our shortcomings to him, not because he condemns us for them, 
but because he has chosen to give his very life so that we may receive the grace that our broken souls so desperately need to be made whole. Through his death, he has won us our salvation, whispering over us, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We will now take a moment of silent reflection and prayer to confess together the ways in which we have fallen short, receiving God's grace through Christ anew, and inviting the light of the world to illuminate the darkness within us so that we may become a new creation free from sin and shame. Isaiah 53, 3-6. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Loving God, we know that you love us, so we confess that we have let you down. Every day we betray you, deny you, misunderstand you, crucify you. We betray you when we are selfish or unkind. We deny you when we do not speak out for justice and truth. We misunderstand you when we justify our actions by misquoting your teaching. We are truly sorry, and we wait for your word of love through Christ our Lord. Church, you may be seated. Please read aloud the underlined section. We will pause after each response for a few seconds of silence. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. Oh, oh what, what a, a gracious, gracious Savior. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, today, you will be with me in paradise. Oh, what a merciful Savior. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Oh, what a beautiful Savior. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Oh, what a costly redemption. After this, Jesus knowing 
that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. Oh, what an agony he endured for us. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Oh, oh what a costly, what a costly redemption. redemption. Then Jesus calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into my hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Oh, what a costly redemption. Why do we love the cross? I didn't grow up in church. When I was in high school, a friend invited me to come to her church with her family, and that church, to this day, holds such a special place in my heart. At that church, they loved the traditional hymns. And even as a teenager, brand new to the world of church and church words, I developed a love for those lyrics. And to this day, they give me so much comfort and they bring me back to truth. But there's always been one that's kind of caught me off guard. Take a look at the screen. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. I don't know if you've ever really thought about it before, but it's a strange way to think about the cross. The object of suffering and shame would be the object of my love. As my five-year-old would say, that's a little weird. Especially when we consider that it was our sin that put Jesus on the cross. Maybe you think, well, those are just romanticized, poetic words from a hundred years ago. We don't talk like that anymore. But the question still remains. Why do we love the cross? The world increasingly sees it as foolishness. And yet, as believers, we cling to the cross. We put it up on our walls. We wear it on our clothing, our jewelry, our tattoos. We come to church for a Good Friday service where the death of Jesus on the cross is front and center. Why? At the cross, Jesus experienced the fullness of death. Some of you walked in tonight and death feels too close. You're grieving the loss of a life, the brokenness of a relationship, or you're feeling deeply all the ways that sin is wreaking havoc on the world around us. Tonight 
You long for the closeness of a God who sees, who understands. Jesus meets us there at the cross. At the cross, Jesus experienced death in every sense. You see, when sin and death entered the world, we talk about it as separation. Separation between God and people, separation between people, separation between people and creation. When Jesus came to the cross, he experienced all of this. God and people, as Jesus hung on the cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In Philippians 2, it tells us that even though every fiber of his being was God, Jesus didn't hold on to that. He humbled himself. He was born as a baby, lived in this world, and died an unspeakable death. As sin weighed heavily with each labored breath, Jesus experienced the torment of being separated from God. Are you feeling like that tonight? Is the weight of sin getting at your heart? Do you feel distanced from God because it just feels like it's too much? Jesus understands between people. Now this type of separation, we don't have to work too hard to figure that one out. (laughs) Arguments end up in bitterness and resentment. Unwillingness to forgive and really listen to each other leads to judgment, violence, isolation. It seems like everything is dividing us and very little is bringing us together. Jesus understands. In less than one week, Jesus went from being hailed as king to cries of crucify him from the same people. If anyone can appreciate the destruction of cancel culture, it's him. In being obedient, even to death, Jesus experienced the depth of separation between people. He understands. People in creation, Jesus was born with a physical body and was subject to pain and mortality. During his ministry, he dealt with raging seas, illness, fishermen and farmers who were struggling to produce, and the weariness of dealing with a world that just feels like it was fighting against him at every turn. Do you feel like that tonight? I do. It seems like the world is falling apart around us, and brokenness is outpacing healing and growth. At his death, Jesus felt that, and so did creation. The significance of what happened caused the skies to go dark and the earth to quake. The weary world that rejoiced at his birth groaned at his death. Jesus understands. Jesus entered fully into the death and separation that we experience. He faced it all. 
Why? Athanasius, a fourth century theologian who was key in helping people accept the full deity and full humanity of Jesus, said that Jesus' death was necessary. Yes, necessary as payment for sin, but also necessary so that Jesus could experience resurrection, so that we can experience resurrection. We grieve at what our redemption cost Jesus. Romans tells us that the wages of sin is death. Make no mistake. We repent and reflect on our posture toward a God who loved us most at our worst. And because of the cross, we rejoice at his invitation to life. Jesus experienced the fullness of death so that we might experience the fullness of life. Sin was undone at the cross. Where sin and death brought pain and decay in our bodies and the world around us, we now have the promise of a new heaven and new earth where our bodies won't betray us and the world won't fight against us. Where sin and death brought an us versus them mentality that separated us and broke our connection to each other, we now lean fully into being part of the family of God and loving others, us, for them. And most of all, where sin once created a barrier between us and the one who knows us best of all, the veil was torn and we now have full access to God forever. The very one who demonstrated his love for us by dying for us on the cross. Take a look at the screen as we look at the last verse of the hymn that we started with. In the old rugged cross, stained with blood so divine, a wondrous beauty I see. For it was on that old cross Jesus suffered and died to pardon and sanctify me. Why do we love the cross? It reminds us that Jesus experienced the fullness of death so that we might experience the fullness of life. We are free, abundantly free and alive. Our identity in Christ is secure and we have been called to see life for its possibilities rather than its punishment. When we understand that, it compels us to respond. We love the cross because the outstretched arms are an invitation to accept what Jesus' death on it has made possible and let that be our living hope. In a moment, I'll invite you to go to one of the stations around the room to receive the bread and juice. We do have gluten-free elements at the center station in the back. As we move into communion, I want to give you a moment to pause. Leading up to his death, Jesus lived into the fullness of his life. He taught his disciples. 
He shared a meal with them, and he challenged them to stay strong and to love one another, all while feeling the full weight of sin, knowing that he would be betrayed, humiliated, knowing that he would die, Jesus lived and modeled what it looks like for us to live in the fullness of life. This does not minimize the pain and the suffering we experience. Jesus understands. And yet, when we look at the cross, when we hear his invitation to walk in that fullness of life, we have hope. I'd like to invite you now to take a moment to pause. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after dinner, he took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink this cup, remember me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And now as you're ready, we invite all of those who profess faith in Jesus to come to the table.